Hi, everyone. I have a few questions for you. Do you handle change well? Do you think you do? Are you sure? Tell me, how did you move through the pandemic? Did you do okay? Were you anxious? If you've ever been laid off, how did that affect you? Mm. Well, another question. Have you ever experienced a major life-changing event, like the death of a loved one, a divorce, or separation? If you did, did it affect your work, your productivity at work? Now, we all know that these last several years have challenged us all, and those of us fortunate enough to remain functioning adults, as we like to think of ourselves, may think we've come through the fire. But my question is, have we really? My guest today is Elizabeth Power, and she has the key to the lock. Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. We're back. As I said, my guest today is Elizabeth Power who is the CEO of ePower and Associates, Inc., and the founder of the ePower Change Institute. She's also a resident of Nashville, Tennessee. That's a place I wouldn't mind visiting one day. Now, Elizabeth specializes in change, and the ePower Change Institute focuses solely on change. They offer multiple programs on coping with change, fostering resiliency, and holding hope. And today, in today's world, in our life, we always need hope. I want to welcome Elizabeth. Thank you so much for taking time to be with me today and to talk to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you are so welcome, Beverly. I'm so glad to be here. You know, my mother used to say that I had been through more change than a chameleon crawling through a costume ball. <laughs> and I, she was right. But this pandemic has just about worn me out. I think you could get an amen from a whole lot of people about that. I was hearing the roar in the background. And, and I'm trying my best, like most of us are, to pass well enough to keep going. But I see the tremendous level of anxiety and anger 
and hopelessness. I see the changes in levels of violence, both at the personal and intimate level and generally speaking. And I go, you know, we're a lot like three cats, one looking, one digging, and one covering up. We're not doing as well as we think we might be in some ways. So it occurs to me that the first thing that I want to help people get a grip on is the feelings of change, any change, are not much fun. The only time we welcome change and are excited by it is if we design the change, we execute the change, and it goes exactly as we want it to. Otherwise, we don't like it very much because it's imposed on us, and we feel like we lose our ability to make choices. In fact, almost all of the murders in the workplace are committed by people who didn't get something they wanted and couldn't cope with it. Domestic violence is often the same way. A lot of the violence in our society is because we didn't get our way. You having said that, I hadn't thought of it that way, but Mm -hmm. absolutely you're right. It's a level of frustration that morphs into something so dangerous. But it's Mm -hmm. the frustration comes about because the person hasn't acquired, achieved, satisfied a need or acquired something Mm -hmm. that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Didn't get the girl they wanted. Didn't get the raise they wanted. Didn't get the longevity they wanted. Didn't get the entitlement they thought they had or the privilege they thought they had or thought they should have. And all of those are at the basic level problems of change. Sometimes it's even as simple as not getting the respect Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. You should have gotten. You may not even think you were entitled to it, but it Mm -hmm. was something that you wanted to have Mm -hmm. and had been denied. I wanted you to like me and you didn't. I wanted you to include me and you didn't. I wanted you to value what I know and you didn't seem to. Now, I might not have been able to recognize it, but I didn't perceive that what I wanted was being provided. Yeah. Let me talk a little bit about the two different ways that we can think about change. We can look at it as a problem, something to which we react and do the same thing over and over and over again. And if we can't tolerate the feelings it brings, the feeling stupid and anxious and angry and upset and all those things, we end up going into fight or flight. Mm, yes. Hang on to that because that's important. If we can make it roll uphill and look at that change as an opportunity, and I am not talking positive mental attitude because it's going to feel the same old ugly way. We can say, okay, I'm going to respond. I'm going to think again before acting. I'm going to see what I can do because depending on the choices I make, which may take effort, will take effort, I'm going to either see goal attainment or growth out of it. But it takes a lot of practice to go from rolling downhill into fight or flight which is a neurobiological response to fear. It takes a lot to go from doing that naturally to rolling uphill and saying, okay, I'm going to say yes to this change. I'm going to identify my choices. I'm going to make up more choices and I'm going to choose my way through this so that I feel like I have some power. And that's something we don't get taught to do very much anymore. We get taught if we want it, we should have it. No, no, we have to work for it. Well, we may not get it if we work for it. We, we may not. We may not get it at all. Okay, if we don't get that, what are we going to do if we don't get what we thought we wanted? Are we going to redirect our energy? Are we going to take it as lessons learned, as opportunities and, and growth developed and keep going? Where's our resilience in change? Well, 
it could morph into self-loathing. It could. And self-contempt is a big problem because it can show up in self-sabotage at work. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to look at your patterns. I know that I've been an employee exactly 14 months in the last three jobs where I was an employee. That's all I can do. When I leave, it's because I have overperformed or I have refused to bow to things that run realistic. In the world of training, for example, we know that to develop one hour of competency-based adult learning, where I say to you, if you hire me so you're t- and your employees need to be able to do this, they'll be able to do it when I get done, but you've got to let me do it the way it needs to be done. That's going to take up to 40 hours. Project managers don't know that. They think it's just a PowerPoint. Yeah. Well, expectations are important, uh-huh. managing expectations, uh-huh. and a lot of us aren't good at doing that. Yes. No, we aren't. We don't manage the expectations, nor do we look at what expectations are appropriate to set. We know we want what we want when we want it. When, that's right. We are two-year-olds <laughs> hiding behind big people masks. That's right. You know, but, <laughs> what's it talking about? But I want that, and I'm working toward that. There's no reason I shouldn't have that. That's right. And when that's I don't right. get it, then what? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's that's when things get tough. So if you look at change as phenomenal, we get overwhelmed by this flood of difficult feelings when it's a change that's imposed on us or a change that we didn't invite or that we don't get to engineer, where we are the target instead of being the agent or the author. Suddenly, we're faced with, well, what do I do? What do I do with with this change that I'm faced with that I don't really want to make, but that I have to deal with somehow. Well, the first thing is you have to separate, or you don't have to, but you can choose to separate the feelings from the facts. I'm an old toot. The very first time I sat down in front of a computer, it was a black screen with orange lettering. And that computer would go, meep, meep, meep. Every time I made a mistake, and I felt like a total fool because I was in the room with all these young kids in the 80s who could just get it and keep going, and I was having to struggle with it. But, you know, the thing is, is I was just learning a new skill. I felt incompetent. I felt stupid. I felt angry. I felt disappointed. I felt like a cripple. I felt like I'd never get anywhere because I was wallowing and basking in my self-contempt at making a simple error in the process of learning, which is nothing but error upon error. And I'm just the opposite. I know that I'm not technologically savvy. As far as these computers and PowerPoint and Microsoft and Apple and all that, too many people can do it. I mean, how hard can it be if all these people, I mean, millions and millions, I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you I can take it apart and put it back together, but I can figure out how to type a letter. Mm -hmm. I'm no typist. Mm -hmm. It may take me longer. It may not be formatted as properly as a professional Mm -hmm admin might, but I can get it done. Mm -hmm. And that's what I keep telling myself. Anytime I'm confronted with the situation that challenges me, it's like, look around. Who's doing it? If they can do it, you can do it. You can figure it out. Mm -hmm. It might take you longer. You might have to learn it different. But part of those skills is learning what to do with the feelings of change that come up. Because if you can't tolerate the discomfort of learning something new or of taking in information from other people, you're going to be stuck. Well, and it's really interesting because I think everyone needs validation. Yeah. And everyone doesn't always get it. And people don't know how talented they are 
how smart they are, unless and until there's some external validation, proof. You know, whether it's a test in school, you didn't think you were going to do well, but you got the highest grade in the class. How did that happen? Well, I did study. I think about that. And back to what we were talking about earlier, everyone doesn't have someone to say, you're great. You can do it. And even if they do, you might not believe it. Yeah, that's true. Because the thing is, there's a lot of people. I'm one of them. I can gnaw on my own arm like a coyote in a trap. If I don't do well enough, if I don't perform well enough, if I don't feel valued enough. But the problem is, is there are some of those things that I don't know what they feel like. I just don't know what they feel like. I mean, my culture from Appalachia is I feel good, I feel bad. That's it. The facial expression is the same. It's like when I'm in Africa and I see people, partly because of the differences in our, in our skin, they may not look at me. They have a very flat face like they do in Japan. They live behind the face because it's safe. But that doesn't mean that behind the face, I know what the feeling is. Thankfully, there are some people who are researching and have come up with some very universal expressions. Make a note of this. If you'll go out and search for where do people feel emotions in their bodies and look for images, you'll find some incredible maps that look like heat maps, but it's not heat, it's activation and deactivation. They've surveyed thousands of people and found that almost everybody across multiple cultures feels activated in the same area of the body and deactivated in others for love, for anger, for all kinds of different emotions. And what that one tool has done for me is it's helped me begin to connect to my feelings physically in a way that I never could before. So I now have a sense of when I feel activated here, what might that be? I, I swear I used, a, I used a map I pulled out of Fast Company for some of this research as a guide. If everything I have is external, if it's all TV, video, device of some sort, if I'm always looking out and never looking in, I may not know these feelings. If I've experienced overwhelming experiences that might be called, that are called traumatic, like abuse or neglect or medical crisis or homelessness or natural disaster or war or dislocation and being a refugee or being an immigrant, I've been so overwhelmed with trying to physically survive. My brain is only focused on keeping my body alive, not on mastering those fine social skills that are really, really helpful, that make it easier to tolerate. If I don't get what I want, what do I do next? Right. Filling that cup up. When I think of the people of all ages that suffer from lack of self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, don't feel valued, are not exposed to just things that you and I might take for granted. But somehow, some of them rise above like phoenixes. You know, they rise Mm -hmm. and they not only survive, they flourish. Mm -hmm. They're exceptions. They're not the rule. And that's what I want to do. I want to help people by providing information that they can use to help them soar. That is so powerful. We need that so much. The place where we work with that is in helping people understand, have developed, use this model of change that I was just talking about that helps us look then once we recognize the feelings aren't the facts. I may not feel successful. Factually, I look successful. 
What's a person with a master's degree in education doing with human resource development, doing teaching psychiatry at Georgetown? Why am I published as a third author in Family Medicine, a very prestigious peer-reviewed journal? Why don't you tell people about you tell people about your your journey? Well, sure. I arrived in Nashville in 1979 as a shoe repairer, and I worked in a shop that served the stars. And I didn't think I was smart enough to do anything else. I really didn't. I was having a hard time reading numbers. By the way, that's often anxiety. I thought all I could do was fix shoes. I'd stay hidden back there in a the shop, and I'd put patches on, and I'd take Al Gore's shoes and fix them up for the dog ate them, or Oprah Winfrey's shoes. And yes, I worked on their shoes. I'd fix Dolly Parton's red boot, cowboy boots that are in her museum in Sevierville. But one day, Minnie Pearl came in to have the, the little bracket that held the handle down on her makeup case put back on, which was one of my jobs. And she looked at me and she said, you are way too smart to be doing this. Don't let yourself get stuck here. And that was the most powerful thing. In, I mean, she saw me and I needed to be seen. Yes. And I have carried that tucked away in my heart for a long time. And there have been other people that have seen me. And what I chose to do, and I'm saying this to all of you out there whose hearts are feeling that little bitty ache because you know what I'm talking about. Tuck the good things away in your heart as much as you hoard all the painful things that you hang on to that tell you you can't, you need to be given due space and due attention to the things that tell you you can. You don't have to believe them. You just have to know they're there. Exactly. And I went from there to working for the Human Services Department, where I was written up for being overproductive after 14 months. And then I knew something was bad wrong with me. I knew something was so wrong with me, I couldn't even make it there. Back then, working in public welfare was considered a low a very lowly job. Doesn't matter that you were saving lives. It was still almost anybody could get a job. Almost anybody could do it. If you could tolerate it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't something for me. Bigger plans were laid for me before I was even born. And my job was to find my way to them. And so I sat down and I thought, and I was sitting around thinking, what's wrong with me that I can't figure all this out? What's so hard about being a welfare worker, doing adoption and foster home recruitment, as we called it back then? And I thought, you know, the one thing all this stuff has in common is change. When I go to the dentist, I want to change. When I sign up for a job or get hired by somebody, they want to change. I want to change. They want somebody to do some work. I want to check. When we bring somebody into the wealth, into human, into certain care, it's because society or someone has deemed that a change needs to be made. And it occurred to me that the simple basic transaction in everything is change. And so I began to think about, and I, I rambled around and wandered around for a while. And I did, I had 50, 11 jobs. I would have been a classic job hopper. But I finally ended up teaching a program that was focused on trauma-informed care in the mental health community and doing instructional design. And I learned that so much of what I did learn was because I was overwhelmed. And there were three things that I learned across time that have made my life Sore. One is more about managing my feelings. Where do I feel them in my body? How many words are there for anger? You know, I mean, when's the last time you had a conniption fit or a hissy fit or was or apoplectic or irate or annoyed or irritated? The more I expanded my knowledge of all these different emotions and how they felt, and the more I found out from people that I respected, what do you do when you feel annoyed? Where do you feel it in your body? What do you do? You know, something that's family oriented does not involve paperwork. My requirements: no paperwork must be involved. You know? <laughs> no paperwork. No paperwork. 
and began to try these things like an athlete learning a new skill, the better my life got. That was the first one was managing my feelings. I went to a Walmart in South Carolina this weekend. I was so frustrated. I could feel that huge flare, you know, where you think you're going to go nuclear at any minute. I knew I just needed to leave and walk, just walk away. And learning that kind of self-regulation has been so powerful. The second thing that's so cool is learning to recognize that whatever negative things I inherited or learned, I also inherited strengths and positive things. And that I can remember those things. For example, I asked you about that picture behind you in your office. And you told me a story about it, and I could see your face light up. It brought back a positive memory to you. Yes. That's an outward expression of an inner connection that you have a positive association with. We could talk about family recipes because food and the foods that we love are strong, self-soothing things. We can think about playlists, art, jewelry, clothing. There's all kinds of stuff that is these positive interconnections we can call on when we are wigged out or getting wigged out that help us cope. And we forget those. If I didn't have the ability to remember, I remember watching a friend of mine be so mad she couldn't stand it and she was able to walk away and walk away gracefully and breathe her way through it. I couldn't have gotten walked out, gotten in my car with my box I needed to return and breathed my way out of it, and then watched my sister be very surprised that I did because she's accustomed to me blowing up. But that interconnection that helps me soothe myself along with the ability to manage my feelings, that interconnection helps me realize I'm not alone. I may not be able to feel the love that comes to me, but I can remember that it does come. It's a fact. It's not a feeling. And then recognizing my worth. I got an email this morning or a messenger on Facebook from somebody I've known since 1989 who said, I just went out and saw your CV and I am blown away by what you've done, by the amount of things you've achieved. And, you know, of what I think, I think most people feel their chest swell a little bit when they get that kind of message or some sense of warmth in their belly or something. I don't get that. What do you I never learned. It's just flat cold. But I know other people get it. So I gave myself permission to think, what? What if I could stir that feeling up? What if I could connect that feeling to that experience? And it was a really cool feeling. But I'm having to learn how to link all those things up because I missed those things. I missed learning those things. Do you not have a sense of pride and accomplishment? It's just stuff I've done. But you could have done nothing. No. Would you have felt differently if you had done nothing? Yes, I would have felt terribly guilty because I didn't do something. Okay, but so having done what you've done, your achievements, can you not smile about that? <laughs> I can, but I had to learn to smile. You know, I've had to learn the emotions that come with life that a lot of people seem to develop naturally, but I made a choice that people who don't have to do the work I did to learn that don't get. I had to choose to what will I associate positive feelings? To what will I associate feelings of love and contentment and pride and joy as I'm able to develop those feelings, as opposed to sadness and despair and emptiness and hatred and anger? You can't survive but so long on those. No. And they're destructive. No, they're They'll hurt your body. And you may destroy others. That's correct. And that is indeed problematic. That is correct. So what advice do you have for our listeners? I mean. There's no quick fix to manage anxiety and frustration 
But are there things that, for example, I take baths. I take mm-hmm. lavender scented baths. Wonderful. And it just it <laughs> calms me down. And then I go to bed and I'll be watching television and then I'm asleep like that. That's wonderful. It works for me. I don't need a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I just withdraw to the bath and I don't even go into, you know, meditation or I don't have to. Right. It works for me. Right. I think the thing is, first of all, people have to recognize there might be another way I could do this. Be curious about there might be another way I could do this. And always look for those other ways that you can do this. Think about what do you want? I wanted a life of peace, of good relationships where I had long-term friends, of connection, and of success, although success to me is the responsible use for the goods and creations with which I'm entrusted. And you've achieved that. I've pretty much achieved that. I'm still working on keeping it consistent with this new process, new business, uh, the new business lines I've got. But the most important thing was, is I had to like me enough that I could do it because otherwise I was sabotaging myself at every turn. So the first thing that I would say to your folks is, number one, recognize that all change feels awful unless you engineer it. And change can be a lot of things. The feelings aren't the facts. The fact is you can be successful even if you don't feel it and you can learn the feelings. You can connect those. You can hook those up. Every time you spend 20 seconds remembering something positive, you are installing the good, as my friend John Borisenko says. And as you install the good, you are bathing your brain in dopamine and the other feel-good chemicals. Bathe your brain in feel-good chemicals without using sex or drugs or alcohol or anything that might be an unfortunate addiction in the long term. The third thing is up your emotional intelligence through a trauma-informed lens. Every single person listening, this, all of your listeners have had some something overwhelm them so much they thought they were going to lose their mind or die or be badly injured. And at the ePower Change Institute, whose site is under development, our work in trauma-informed processes helps people master some of this stuff without going for the mental health, the side of mental illness. We think that much of the frustration and the challenges that we experience these days are in part because our emotional intelligence has been stunted. And we teach trauma-informed emotional intelligence to help people learn how to master self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness, and social skills. And we don't go for the mental illness side of trauma. We go for how does it keep us from learning the skills that we needed to learn to be more successful? How does spending all of our lives as children engaged in devices keep us from learning the things we need to have higher levels of cooperation, collaboration, and success with others and ourselves? How do we learn that even though we may not have gotten where we want to be, we are at least halfway there? Because I promise you this, as far as I have come, I will always have that far to go again. Absolutely. Look at those connections. What's your favorite recipe? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite playlist? Find the things that bring you soothing that don't subject you to any possible paperwork and pursue those. Well, how can people, before we end and before we say goodbye to our listeners, how can they find you, follow you, read about you? Wow. You have a website? 
I do indeed. It's elizabethpower.com. You may run into a British romance novelist by the same name, but we are not the same person. But you're in, <laughs> does it say you're in Tennessee? I'm in Tennessee. I have I own elizabethpower.com, and she, I think, owns elizabethpower.net. Once in a while, our books get mixed up on Amazon, and that's really funny. You can find my newest book, Healer, Reducing Crises at Amazon, which is chock full of tools and techniques. You can find our newest course on resilience at https colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash elastic hyphen resilience. You can reach out to me on elizabethpower.com and ask me to help you find what you want. I'd be glad to because all we have is each other. And in this long process of dealing with massive change and figuring out who are we becoming for tomorrow, we need all the connections we can get. Well, I am so pleased that you and I have connected. And I thank you again for you taking the time to speak to me personally. And on behalf of my listeners, I thank you too for them. I look forward to talking to you again, Elizabeth. Let's do it. And we're going to say goodbye until next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.